ignition sequence start. Three, two, one. Lock and load. It's time for the gun rack with your hosts, Joey and Drew. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the gun rack, Thorn Desert Institute School of Farm Technology's official podcast. I'm Josiah of our folks call me Joey, and with me, we have one Drew Poplin. Drew Poplin. It's probably better to say that I'm with him at this point. Rumors of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. I believe that Drew informed you guys in last week's episode that I would not be gone for good. FBI and I, again, have, uh, as a full-time employee, I am no longer there. But the last thing I did before I left was set up a contract to continue doing this for the next six months. Um, So hopefully after the end of the six months, we'll just keep going. But uh, We are locked in through the end of March. I am not going anywhere. Happy kazoo noises in here. Feel free to put in a drop or just, you know, make me like this. (laughs) Um, We actually have a whole new setup coming, or I've got a new setup coming. I'm going to build for podcasting. Obviously, it's not, um, you're you're catching me on a Bluetooth right now, but we're going to have some fun, spicy stuff for you guys. As always, our content is going to be a lot of fun, and we are very excited to be able to stick together during this next new chapter for the gun rack. But that is more than enough about me for now. Let's talk about what we are going to talk about today. Drew, what do we have on the docket? All right, so it's getting a little bit chillier out there, if you haven't noticed, or at least where we're at. Freaking Uh, cold. Yeah, yeah, I think it kind of skipped autumn a little bit, and it's kind of yeah. in that pre-winter phase. Anything um, above 60 or below 60 degrees is unacceptable. Yes, and how am I supposed to wear my jorts in this weather? Yeah, thank you. But today, we're going to talk about cold weather concealed carry. More accurately, how do you conceal carry when it's cold outside? Things that are positive during that time of year, and things that are negative in terms of concealed carry. So I'm excited to talk about that with you guys. I'm more excited to have Joey back. Uh, Joey, I got to say, hosting last week, I don't know how you did that for two years. What, by myself? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It is, it's weird talking into a microphone for 20 minutes straight by yourself. Like, um, It's like the worst parts of all the Rush Limbaugh shows. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, you know, he was good at it, and I'm not. So... Um, it was, is rough times. I'm definitely glad this is a, a two person show. Um, I hope it'll stay that way forever and ever. Amen. And the best way to do that is to, uh, have you guys keep listening. And the best way to do that is to keep doing fun content. And we think this winter concealed carry, we've been doing a lot of concealed carry lately. That just happens to be what I'm, uh, more of a subject matter expert in. Uh, but we have all sorts of other stuff coming down the pipeline as well. So don't you worry about that. We even have a spooky season podcast episode coming up. Uh, a little bit of a miniature spoiler there. But before we do any of this, let's get into some Drew clues. And actually, Drew, I'm going to leave that to you because I am about to go pick up a big old chunk of ammo from a company called Outdoor Limited. 
and we can talk about what I've uh, just had boxed up for me when I get back. That sounds exciting. You get that ammo, boy. I got you covered. Yeah. You tear up some Drew's Clues. Yeah. So last week on Drew's Clues, I gave you some clues, and the answer was the PPSH-41. Now this week, this select fire rifle fires 7.62 by 51 millimeter NATO. It has a barrel length of 450 millimeters. And though it was designed in the 1950s, it's still used in over 60 countries. It's also a more popular modified derivative of a Spanish rifle. What do you think this firearm could be? Well, if you are wondering, you know, why are we asking you these questions? Why are we playing this game? Well, we want to give you opportunity to win some swag, win a t-shirt, win a SDI t-shirt. So if you think you know the answer, I encourage you, go ahead, write into us, write into our email at marketing at sdi.edu with your answer. And if you're right, we'll send you something. And um, ooh, let's see what Joey Upper brought back for us. All right. How are we doing? We're doing good. I just had a nice little pause where I was like, let's see what Joey brought back for us. Yes. Hopefully. Lord willing, Drew edits out none of that hang time and you just sit in silence for about, I don't know, 60 seconds. Um, we'll see what I do. Yeah, so we have a little bit of a grab bag today. And the reason I'm so excited about being able to contract with FBI is that essentially, and I'm, you know, I'm not going to go into the financial details because one does not kiss and tell, but I'm taking what I am, the revenue I'm generating and turning it immediately around into products that I can then use as content for you guys. Essentially, I have found a way to subsidize uh, research that I do for you guys on a, on a more firsthand basis, which is super exciting. Uh, excuse me, the end of this month is going to see another, um, and this is something we could talk about early November, Drew. We're going to be doing another class with Rotondo Tactical. Um, yeah, so I just went and bought ammo for that. I was, again, this class was $100, which is ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. I believe it's called Positional, this course. I got it for handgun and rifle. Um, and that rifle is going to be, I think all of them involved are going to be a uh, modern sporting rifle. Um, and so it's a, you know, semi-automatic standard capacity magazine standard, of course, being 30 rounds. See, it's so liberating to be able to say things just without having to worry about whatever the, uh, the compliance issues may be. I mean, not, you know what I mean? I'm not going to say anything totally weird, but uh, it's nice to be able to say things like standard capacity all by myself. Anyway, back to it. That's the true incarnation of Goblin Mode, Joey Upper. It's the beginning of Goblin Mode. I can say things and they are officially not an official FBI opinion. <laughs> That's what we need. And we still need to make those t-shirts. I um, agree. I will make one for myself, if nothing else. I love it. But anyway, I went and got ammo for that. And I also got some magazines to try to change up my capacity game a little bit. Give me one second here and I will break out the receipt and tell you guys exactly what brands I got. Um, He's got the receipts, ladies and gentlemen. I've got the receipts. I'm keeping the receipts on the, all the doubters. 
you hear that that press conference? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was wild, man. Robert Sala, um, head coach of the New York Jets, keeping receipts. You know, it's like we don't, we truly do not care. Um, <laughs> also, David Tepper. I kept seeing David Tepper is the owner of the Panthers. This is our 60 seconds of football, and then we'll leave, I promise. But owner of the Carolina Panthers fired Matt Rule this week, and every Panthers fan is pretty stoked about that, all the ones I've spoken to anyway. But the press conference where David Tepper, I kept seeing news articles saying David Tepper claimed that uh, music did not exist uh, or you know concerts did not exist in Charlotte until he got there. And I was like, that is some headline searching nonsense. I'm not playing that game with them. Like I used to write for publications and that's just stupid. So, and then I listened to the soundbite and that's almost verbatim what he says. He really doesn't think that there was music in Charlotte until he got there. I was watching it live and it was like, it's like watching a great train wreck. He also implied that a team that went to the Super Bowl seven years ago has never had a winning culture. Or, or... A winning culture. Yeah. That guy, I, I had big feelings about until pretty much right now. Now, not so much. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into this kind of stuff. Um, a little bit of the top of mind thing. So I use almost exclusively at this point for ammunition needs, a company called Outdoor Limited. I've used them as a source before, especially back in the day when ammunition was super scarce. Outdoor Limited has been kind of a rock for me. They do not price gouge, at least not in my experience. And they almost always have stuff in hold, even when things were nasty. There was only once or twice ever where I looked up and they didn't have everything I wanted in the quantities I wanted. And you guys know we're out shooting during 2020 how much of a rarity that is, right? We're just now, I got an email this week from Academy Sports and Outdoors saying just now they've stopped purchase limits on ammunition. We are just barely out of the woods and the Outdoor Limited has been there the whole time. I uh, should probably try to work out some sort of stick endorsement deal, maybe in conjunction with this. Is. But Outdoor Limited is who I use, and they are not paying me anything to say that or giving me anything to say that. So for this positional uh, event, I was asked to bring 200 rounds of rifle ammunition and 200 rounds of handgun ammunition. Having done this in the past, I can tell you, that I, it's unlikely I will use all 200 rounds of handgun ammunition, but it seems silly to buy training and not have more than enough ammo. So in situations like these, I generally just go for the cheapest available. Sometimes you have a rifle or a handgun that really does not like certain types of ammunition. There's nothing wrong with that. You have to be careful about your firearm's particular needs. I have yet to encounter ammunition difficulties with either firearm I am bringing. The first one is the Galil Ace Gen 1, which I've talked about many times on the podcast before. Uh, the Galil Ace Gen 1, no matter what garbage ammo I put in it, will still be ridiculously precise and accurate. Um, I have yet to have any issues. Um, don't expect it to do what match grade ammo does. That's not the point. But if you're talking about putting down range rounds accurately in bulk 
Um, I have not had an issue with any particular ammunition. Uh, in this case, I'm using Global Ordnance Steel Case, uh, 122 grain, 762 by 39, it's chambered in 762 by 39, uh, full metal jacket. Um, sometimes you can get both hollow points for the same price. Tula has historically been a good source for that, or soft nose. And but in this case, full metal jacket was what was cheapest. And uh, it is not a lot of people. This is kind of a side note, but a lot of people will confuse steel case for steel core. This is not a steel core round. Okay. If you import a round, it almost certainly is not steel core because people will look at Tula, for example, Tula ammo, and they will say, well, steel case. It's super cheap, might have steel core because a lot of places will not tolerate steel core. But unless I'm incorrectly remembering this, you are not allowed to import steel core ammunition because it qualifies as armor piercing ammo, which obviously the US doesn't want imported into its country. It's a whole separate thing. And frankly, steel core ammo is more expensive anyway. So steel case, not steel core, global ordinance. 762 by 3922 grain. I uh, got 10 boxes of that for 200 rounds. The 10 boxes ended up costing me $76 and 90 cents, in case you are wondering. Uh, that's not including tax. But that gets me out for, I think it's 38 cents around, 37 cents around, somewhere in there, which hey. I find in this environment to be perfectly acceptable. For sure. Uh, 45 auto rounds. Uh, people like to joke about about 1911 being finicky. I used to believe that too. And there are certainly still 1911s you can buy that are finicky. Do not get me wrong. Um, but the only rounds I've had issues with are competition loads or um, hand loads. My grandfather actually makes his own ammo, loads his own ammo, and that stuff does not cycle with his thing. It just doesn't. But every factory round I have ever fired, with the exception of one, has worked just fine. And that's been multiple manufacturers, many of which are just cheap. I've used Winchester. I've used Tool Ammo. I've used, I don't know, I'll just commit to those two. And then I purchased MagTech 45, which I've also used, I believe, in this, in this firearm. But 50 rounds, 230 grade full metal jacket, 50 rounds with 24.99. And that's 50 cents a round, which is not great, but it's not particularly bad either. 50 cents a round is generally what I find pretty much to be the case everywhere. So that one's not particularly thrifty, but it's not hurting anyone either, I don't think. Um, the Six Hours B3, the 1911 that I use, is a commander length barrel, four and a quarter inch barrel, and a officer size grip. Officer size grip is six plus one round uh, in a handgun that was already pretty low capacity. So one of the things I've been trying to address with this handgun is that capacity issue. So I do not ever carry this handgun without a spare magazine. Frequently, I will carry two spare, uh, extra magazines. And then it occurred to me, I don't know why it just occurred to me, that I don't have to buy six-round magazines with this thing to make it work. I don't think I should be able to get a mag of any length to put in this thing to add the capacity. And who cares what the aesthetics look like if it's in a reload, right? Capacity matters. So, I just went and picked up two 
KCI 1911-45 magazines that are eight rounders that should kick up my capacity by two rounds per additional magazine. I will keep a six rounder in the thing itself, which will bring my overall capacity to six plus one, that's seven, plus another 16 rounds, that is 23 total rounds. And that is mm. starting to border upon a, a reasonable payload for to carry, I think. Um, that's a little closer to standard. Uh, you are at that point being competitive with a lot of these 10 round mags out there, even if it's in, you know, a 10 rounder plus spare or what have you. We're, we're in a much better space there. I am going to take that to the range, obviously, to make sure those two suckers feed correctly before taking them to a, to a training course. Lastly, on this list, I just spent $27 on a high point nine millimeter 20 round magazine. Uh, Red Ball is the brand. I have heard mixed reviews about this particular magazine, but I own a high point nine millimeter carbine that I have never fired because when I bought it, I lost the stupid stock magazine. And I, did, I never wanted to spend money on it because who wants to spend money on a high point after you buy it? So I just had it. So I've never fired this high point that I've had for like four years now. So I was like, Okay, we're just we're putting this thing to bed. I think I probably could have gotten the magazine a little cheaper elsewhere, but I was already getting all this other stuff, and this was like an impulse buy. Um, so I'm going to take the nine high point to the range, and we're going to do a little uh, little accuracy test, little stress test, and see how it works. People love to dunk on the high point, but a lot of people speak well of the carbines. I thought it would be fun for us to examine. Different ranges, um, we'll do some different manufacturers, should be reliable. We'll see if the trigger is as squishy as everyone thinks it is. I bet it is. My grandfather, who I have the opportunity to go shooting with every now and again, is an expert in the field. Um, I'll probably get him to shoot a couple rounds and complain about it. So it'll be fun. But anyway, that's a fun project we're going to work on. I thought it would be good content for us here. So we're going to give it a crack. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I thought that would be fun. So all of that three magazines, case of, or not a case, a box of 45, a sandbox of 62 by 39, walked out, including tax, $165.31, which is a pretty good price, all in all. Anyway, that's my my uh, purchase dump of the day. I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you didn't find it boring. If you did, hopefully you skipped ahead to the other content you've got here. But I figured you guys, like, I like to hear what other people buy, so sharing that with you guys as it happens we're live from you know the southeast somewhere uh yeah. all right now let's get into have we talked about the glories of the north desert Institute yet or have we just done the Drew's clues well we talked about drew's clues we talked about david tepper and we talked about your purchase but we have not talked about sdi ladies and gentlemen back in the glory that is the Nord Desert Institute. The Nord Desert Institute is an online school with focuses in firearms technology and unmanned technology that's gunsmithing and drones. It is accredited by the Distance Education Accrediting Commission. And you can learn about these fields from the comfort of your own home. We ship materials, or I guess I should say FBI ships materials directly to your door. You, as a student, Get that hands-on experience that is so important 
and uh, that is something that you will get as a part of your Sonora Desert Institute experience. We have three programs here. We have the Associate of Science Firearm Technology, Certificate in Firearm Technology Gunsmithing, and of course, the Certificate in Unmanned Technology Aerial Systems, the ASFT, CFTG, and CUTAS. If you want to know more about Sonoran Desert Institute and what it might be like to join the SDI family, hop on to sdi.edu for more. All right, how does that sound? How are we doing? I think it sounds great. Yeah, I think the show's going well. Yeah, let's keep this train rolling. I think it sounds great, too. So go learn with SBI. And if you're already a student, awesome. Go be an SBI student harder somehow. Let's talk about concealed carry in the winter. Now, of course, what is the biggest difference between concealed carry? Well, actually, don't even worry about that. What's the biggest difference between summer and winter? Temperature. Temperature, right? And personally, what is the biggest difference between summer and winter? Like you as a person going about your daily life. How many clothes I wear? Yeah. Or or what kind of clothes? There's all sorts of stuff that you could do, right? And in the winter, you might want to go skiing. In the summer, you might want to go to the beach. We're not talking about that. At the very base level, when you get up and go to work every day, every single day, seven days a week, just like sheep, 24 seven, 365. You get dressed for that. What the temperature is is going to reflect what you wear. That is going to be the case here in the realm of concealed carry. That gives us more clothing, can give us more options. And lower temperatures can mean different types of holsters are more comfortable. Okay, Um, so I got a holster from Nate Tactical specifically to demo for you guys, and I have been doing so. Um, I have some questions about it that I'm trying to get answered first before we do a deep dive on it, but that is also coming in a future uh, not too far removed from now. But I can tell you that one of the things about Nate holsters is that they have a a very warm back to them. You have a handgun that is in a plastic mold. You have to do something to unlock it from that mold, which is mostly where my research is going into, because currently I'm not doing that efficiently. And I want to verify that that is, it's, it's a me problem before I say anything about it, good or ill. But that backing is warm. That just is, right? And because of that, I am significantly less disposed to wear it during the summer than I normally would in winter. And it's a stand, it's a inside the waistband holster, right? Something I wear at my four o'clock, probably 4.30, and would during the summer too. But even that holster is more comfortable during the winter. I am a little bit at a loss to come up with much cause for winter carry. I have one uh, that I can think of, but I suspect you guys will be able to guess what more clothing is or represents is more opportunities to conceal carry in different ways. Something you want to keep in mind for all concealed carry, and I think we mentioned this before, is that you really want to be proficient with the way that you carry. And proficiency in the way that you carry generally means carrying things in a similar or the same manner. If you're going to carry in more than one way, you need to practice the crap 
out of more than one way. Um, for example, shoulder holster, I'm not going to wear that in the middle of summer, in board shorts, you know, walking with my friends downtown. However, I can very much carry a shoulder holster if I'm wearing a parka. But that doesn't mean that I can just toss that on with the winter. I need to practice with that too. When you're carrying in the winter, when you're carrying in the summer, let me back up. Summer carry, there are really two options for you in standard clothing. Non-standard clothing, which I would say suits are non-standard clothing, you, you basically back up the whole costume. But the concealed carry in heat, you got two primary options. The first one is inside the waistband carry. It is the most popular form of carry by a wide margin, right? You know, a lot of those people carry appendix, which one of these days I'm going to try to get a guest for us to talk about appendix carry. I am not particularly a fan, but I know how popular it is, and we want to we want to share that experience with you guys. Anyway, inside the waistband carry, and then of course outside the waistband carry. Uh, outside the waistband carry is significantly harder to hide if you're wearing just one layer of clothing for obvious reasons. Your shirt has to cover the thing, and it has to cover all the way down to the end of this holster, otherwise what are you doing? So really inside the waistband is gonna carry most of the day there. You can wear multiple layers, right? You can wear an undershirt and like a short sleeve button up that's open or what, you know, there are some options. But inside the waistband holster is going to be more convenient for you than just about anything else. When it becomes winter, it's safe to assume, I think, that most of us are wearing more than one layer of clothing. There are exceptions, obviously. The biggest exception I can think of that's extremely popular is a lot of people wear hoodies and they might wear like an undershirt, but they're pretty much just wearing the hoodie. In that particular case, uh, I would recommend inside the waistband holsters still because you're, none of these variables we're about to talk about are going to be explored. Even so, though, if you wear a hoodie and a lot of people like big, baggy, comfy hoodies, right? That's the whole the whole thing because hoodies are not flattering pieces of clothing aesthetically um you mostly wear them because they're insanely comfy and baggy clothing is conducive to concealed carry pretty much always which makes inside the waistband carry with a hoodie pretty appealing pretty easy to do uh even if you're a bigger dude uh like myself however a lot of people like myself i can't stand sweaters that weird quirk of mine i do not like sweaters give me a coat give me a jacket Give me a flannel that's open with an undershirt, which is just very, uh, what is the word, Christian summer camp of me, or not mm -hmm. summer camp, but like, let's go to the fall retreat. Talk about uh, our yes. I'm going to wear a, I'm going to wear a branded t-shirt and a flannel, and we're going to ignore the fact that they casually clash with each other, and I'm wearing too much <laughs> blue. Is this, yeah, okay, we've got a part of them. We, we live uh, the same life. We did live very similar lives before we met each other. But if you're wearing a large flannel or a large outer shirt of some kind, I like to wear um, like a denim shirt unbuttoned with an undershirt that's less of a winter thing and more of a fall thing where you're, you know, it's like 55 degrees or like 50 to 55, two layers is about right. You can start to explore uh, outside the waistband a little more fully, assuming that your shirt or jacket goes down to the length of the holster there is a very good chance that that shirt will be able to conceal uh, just as well as the, the waistband holster would. And the talk we had about outside the waistband holsters versus inside the waistband holsters
person, comfortability is really the big draw. And that is, of course, incredibly compelling. But one thing you want to be careful about, again, is that uh, your winter holster situation is consistent so that if you have to draw uh, and if you're at a range that permits you to draw, we're checking out, make sure that your draw does not get tangled in your overshirt or your jacket. That's kind of a given for all of this. But I have had to do a draw in a class and I got tangled in a jacket. It was super embarrassing and it was in front of like a dozen people. It was the whole thing. Um, so it does happen. If you are drawing from a second layer in an overshirt that's open or a light jacket, I strongly recommend if you happen to have a blue gun, awesome way to go, try that. Um, if not, empty your freaking magazine in the tube and uh, attempt to draw from that holster. Make sure that you are able to reliably get clear so that you're presenting the firearm, whether it's in course or whatever, is as safe as humanly possible. Every time you add a variable, you want to verify that you are continuing to operate your firearm in a safe manner. If you cannot operate your firearm in a safe manner and you are in public, you are a danger to yourself and people around you. That is literally the opposite of the point of concealed carry. I cannot overemphasize this with every new variable you need to practice twice as hard. Pretend it's a class in school that you're not getting. Um, concurrently, and basically by the exact same token, assuming your shirt is not like clinging to your body, this outer shirt or jacket, shoulder holster carry starts to come into play. And this is what I do uh, with my denim jacket or denim shirt even. I have both because, you know, I have to look like a rugged outdoorsman. So the Amazon basics denim shirt is very conducive to looking like a rugged outdoors when I've found. But sticking a shoulder holster with an overshirt can really put that thing away. And assuming you're not, you know, flapping your arms and your shoulders into the breeze, you can still carry pretty effectively in this manner. Cold weather makes that a lot easier. Uh, so shoulder holsters come back into play for all of the reasons we just talked about with the outside the waistband holster. The uh, the places you want to be careful about, make sure that it's not for some reason overly tight in the shoulders because that may print. It's pretty difficult to print with a shoulder holster and make sure that it is like if it's too tight around the middle, no judgment here, uh, but if it's too tight around the middle and your issue now is that uh, you're wearing the shirt because it doesn't fit around your gut, be absolutely sure that when you move around, that the, the button and or receiver of the button, those sides of your shirt are still capable of effectively concealing the firearm in, un, in your armpit, right? Be very careful about that because it's very easy if you're not paying attention to just show all the world that you have a, you know, CZ under your armpit. So if you have a shirt that's too small, otherwise, shoulder holster carry is a real option here and cross draw is for all the same reasons we just mentioned there cross draw and shoulder holster carry obviously have a lot to commend them and even those little backwards upside down cross draw holsters that you'll see sometimes i do not necessarily recommend cross draw or fall of back specific holsters i find that sometimes it's like you bend over to pick something up 
holster will stick up like a little flag in your back and it's very difficult to mistake what it is. All that has to be said, all of those positions are greatly, their ability to hide is greatly strengthened by the opportunities that multiple layers of clothing present. Um, the con, the major con, we've already discussed a little bit. And that con is that when you are drawing from these positions, there is uh, frequently more to get past or around than there was previously. If you are wearing a jacket, let's say, and you're carrying at four o'clock and inside the waistband holster, you now have to clear your original shirt, assuming you're carrying it under that shirt, which you don't have to do if you have multiple layers. You have to clear that shirt. You have to clear the jacket over that and then draw your firearm. There are a lot of things that can go wrong to snag you on the way. No one wants to do that. So if you are drawing from inside the waistband in the winter, I would strongly recommend if you're wearing more than one layer to let your, let the grip of the handgun be over that first layer. Try to eliminate a variable if you can. If you cannot do that and still conceal carry, you've got to practice a lot. And frankly, I'd be a little nervous about it. So those are the main things to keep in mind in outside the waistband versus inside the waistband when it comes to summer and winter. Drew, what do you think we missed? Did we hit all of the important points? One thing that... Um... I don't think we touched on was your hands. Hands. Okay. How are you so like, are, uh, so in the winter time when it gets colder, a lot of people opt to wear gloves. Oh, I see what you mean. That's a great point. Let's talk about that for a minute. So <laughs> the reason we didn't talk about that is because I very rarely wear gloves. I have a size 15 ring finger. I have been turned away from companies when I was looking to get my wedding ring because my fingers were so big, they could not make it in my size. That's really sad, um, actually. It is kind of sad. I ended up, there's a company I will happily plug here myself, Rustic and Maine, also based out of North Carolina, that make a very unique ordering upon hipster ring. Um, my ring from them was made out of elk antler, gold, and the battle deck of the USS North Carolina. That's insanely it's cool. pretty freaking sweet, dude. Very cool company that, uh, that was able to fit me and, and size me up and all that good stuff. But anyway, I wear ridiculous like I can't wear um, I can't wear kitchen gloves. Even the XLs don't fit. I have on multiple occasions had the opportunity to carry firearms or like pick up and examine firearms that were uh, very rare or very collector in one way or the other. And they asked that I put on gloves and I would put on the gloves and they would split. The, the plastic gloves would split down the middle before they even got on my hand. And it's partially because I have, you know, I'm heavy and my, my hands are chunky, but it's also partially because the palm of my hand is bigger than uh, most, <laughs> most professional athletes that need their hands. Um, I would, I think, I think my, uh, my hand length is better than Kenny Pickett's, but we'll see. He and I have yet to do a, a hand-to-hand comparison. Anyway, I don't wear gloves specifically because they're incredibly uncomfortable for me. Sometimes I'll wear knit gloves. Um, but 
you make an excellent point. Do you need to know what's going to be on your hand? Because everything you do about shooting is going to be different. If your gloves are super weird and bulky, um, I would strongly recommend some sort of very narrow trim glove. Because honestly, if you get big enough gloves, you're not going to be able to, like big, poofy winter gloves, you're not going to be able to stick it in the trigger guard. And even if you can, you're not going to be able to hit anything because your whole pole is going to be weird. And if you got bulky gloves, I imagine it could get caught in something. Yeah, it's your the the thicker your glove is, generally, the less precise your movements are. That's the sacrifice you're making, right? So if I were to use anything, I would use narrow, very thin gloves. So basically, the closest you can get to your actual hand. Free. If I use gloves, I use those knit gloves that you can get for like a dollar at Walmart. I would not use those because they don't have any sort of grip. And I have used those when hunting, which is obviously very different because speed is not a variable. And I can tell you it's different. Trying to hold on to something definitely is different. So I would strongly recommend, uh, actually, I would be willing to bet that a lot of these gloves you can buy that you can text with might be valid options for this because they've got that kind of surface going on. But uh, I will leave that to you. But I would strongly recommend if you're going to wear gloves, wear something thin do not think that you can rip your glove off and part of your draw as part of your concealed carry plan that is too much to add to a very difficult situation it is almost certainly dangerous and will expand your draw time enormously so if you're going to conceal carry keep in mind what your handwear is if it's at all possible i wouldn't wear gloves at all um, I know for our friends in the Great White North, that is significantly less likely a possibility than it is here yeah. in the South. And I would if venture were, to say that mittens are out of the question. Mittens are actually have hunted with mittens before. You can get, there was this one type of mitten, I'm sure it has a name, where the, like the four fingers part that's all joined together, you could pull it off and you had like half finger gloves under there. Um, that's the other thing I would consider. If you can do grippy gloves with half fingers, that would not be the worst thing. Although a lot of the, the heat retention there is lost for obvious reasons. So I have used those in the past. But um, strongly recommend grippy, thin gloves. That's what I would do. Um, that's a really good point, Drew. I'm very glad you brought that up. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Extra clothing means extra variables. I think that's the fair rule of thumb for all of this. So when you are considering what you are wearing during concealed carry, and of course, what you if you are concealed carrying, you need to factor that into what you wear, just as a general rule. I don't care if it's a thousand degrees. Keep in mind that every layer of clothing you're adding is a variable that can go wrong. Gloves, inner layer, outer layer, long johns. Uh, I can't imagine a world in which you're tucking a firearm in under long johns. But it's the same reason I don't like belly bands, is you have to do a lot to draw it out. And that's a lot of, it's possible, but it's a lot of practice you need to be doing to get that to work. So keep all of that in mind, folks. We are getting colder and colder as we go here. Because of that, you really want to be paying attention to what's coming down the pipeline. And uh, be sure to include some sort of draw practice in this so that you can be the safest and most responsible concealed carrier that folks. That is most of the gun rack, but real quick, before we leave, we're going to do some Tales from the Range, and before we do that, we're going to talk a little bit about how dope 
Sonoran Desert Institute is. If you don't believe us, and why would you believe us? Drew and I both have fears. Very untrustworthy. Hop on to Sonoran Desert Institute. Check out the news tab. And on the right of the news tab, you're going to see something called grad features. And those are situations where we have spoken to graduates of our school and shared their story, their experiences of what it was like for them to go to our school. They're going to tell you they know more about this than we ever will. Um, go check them out. SDI.edu news tab graduate features to learn more about us and our experience here. Now, Drew, hit us with some tales from the range. Yes, sir. So uh, our source comes from SKSboard.com and it's by user Convert. And uh, just a fort warning to everyone. He uses lots of LOLs, exclamations, and capitalization. I will probably leave some of that out. Yeah, in the chat. <laughs> he says, my brother is a know-it-all. Whether or not he knows what he's talking about. If somebody points out something that, you know, he says he doesn't know what he's talking about, he invents things so he's not wrong. He's earned the name Captain Knowledge. So we were at the range. I have a 62 caliber black powder flintlock. He has an SKS. He commences to regale me with his knowledge of black powder weapons, loading techniques, and points out where I'm wrong, where his superior intelligence will teach me. He's never even owned a black powder gun, mind you. At any rate, he asked me how much powder to put in. I usually put around 65 to 75 grains, depending on what I'm shooting. Uh, you know, be a ball, bird, bucking ball. He tells me that 65 to 75 grains is seriously underpowered. So then he takes my powder measure, puts slightly over double down the pipe. Oh, good Lord. You can see where this is going. I said to myself, he's going to get hurt or bust my Fowler barrel. He didn't even know where to look for the marks to tell him how much powder he was putting in. So as he shoulders the flintlock, I reminded him that there will be a slight hesitation before the gun fires. He tells me to shut up. He knows what he's doing. You're stupid, blah, blah, blah. He jerks the trigger. The powder in the pan flashes, and he points the barrel upwards. He starts to tell me that I did something wrong. He loaded the thing, not me. But before he could finish, bam! The gun goes off, and the barrel slams him dead center of the forehead. He trips over backwards, lands right on his butt. It couldn't have happened to a better man, lol. Uh, he got a good cut on his forehead and needed two stitches. Uh, and he ends it saying, I love it when the know-it-all types get their backsides handed to them because they think they know everything. Is anyone going to break it to this guy that his brother sucks? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think he's pretty well aware that his brother sucks. I'm not going to. That sounds like the worst person. It, I got to be honest. That's This is one of the stories that I come across where I question whether or not this could be true. Like, is there... I, I know there's people out there like this, but it's just hard to see. Well, hopefully he learned his lesson, and uh, hopefully you take a lesson from this. Don't be a yeah. jerk. <laughs> don't be a jerk. Also, don't double load your powder. I don't know why we keep getting stories about that, but uh, I've read literally so many I've lost count. <laughs> if, if there's one thing Tales from the Range has taught me, it's uh, just how many people don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, and there really is nothing new under the sun. 
as far no. as being, being a goober, right? <laughs> being a goober. Goobertum, gooberdom is something you can achieve at any stage in your career, in your life. But what if you want to achieve competency? Nah, man. Forget that. Absolutely not. Um, well, that's not true. Dave Propery, our visual marketing specialist, has achieved competency. That's it. He's the only one allowed for the rest of our lives. I was, man, I was trying to set you up like an alley oop for, uh, for a segue into an SDI ad read. We just did one. Why not another? Okay. Ad read number three. You're a goober. Come to SDI. Perhaps become less of a goober, but we make no promises. Check I out SDI.edu for more. How was that? That's perfect. Did that, did that fit your expectations? I'd say it exceeded. Excellent. Excellent. Good stuff. <laughs> Goblin has struck again. Yeah. <laughs> I am sitting currently in my car watching someone in the middle of a field change their oil. Oh. And I'm like in the middle of a barren field. I don't know why they're there. I don't know. Folks, life is chaos. Don't be a goober and don't change your oil in the middle of the field. You're going to get the cops called on you for no reason. Yeah, so many life lessons learned this episode. We're like fortune cookies, honestly. Listen to us. And then if you want more, buy more Chinese food. Yeah. All right, that's the gun wreck. Have fun out there. We will see you at the range. Sonoran Desert Institute is an online school accredited by the DEAC. It is headquartered at 1555 West University Drive in Tempe, Arizona. For more information about how you can craft your firearms future, visit sdi.edu.